0: time for re-engineering your finances with the founder of cp weldy group charles weldy thanks for joining us for another edition of re-engineering your finances with charles weldy i'm walter storholt and on today's show we're going to be talking about Exposing retirement planning complaints. We're going to tackle some common complaints and some fears thrown in here as well about various financial situations during retirement. And what we're going to discuss is which of these concerns are well-founded, which are perhaps based on misconceptions, and offer some insight on how you, if you're approaching retirement or in retirement, can best navigate these issues for your financial future. So ready to dive into all of this, Charles? Absolutely. All right, let's get it started. The first one, let's say somebody's complaining. We, we hear this, have heard this before, just in general, and I'm sure you've even heard this in your office before, Charles, uh, maybe a new person coming to me to work with you. My advisor takes too much risk. You ever hear that as a complaint from folks before and, and what to do about that concern?
1: Yeah, I mean, I've, I definitely heard that. But for the most part, Walter, there's like actually like 18 risk. And I think what people are talking about when they say my advisor takes too much risk is there really zero in on market risk all right uh, you know the markets up the markets down and the markets up nobody nobody complains when it's down like hey you're taking too much risk but you know realistically it's not just market risk it's like tax risk it's longevity risk uh, inflation long term care running out of money there's so many risk out there that you know for the most part you know and i think i said it on an earlier podcast this gentleman by the name of nick murray says hey there's no such thing as no risk and what he meant by that is we're either gonna take risk today and have safety and security tomorrow, or we're not gonna take any risk today and then we're not gonna have safety and security in the future. So for the most part, there's no such thing as no risk. And for the most part, a good advisor will take the risk you know, that's commensurate with what you need to take to get to where you wanna go in terms of your goals and i think a lot of people are missing not not just um the concept of market risk they're they're actually not focusing on tax risk you know what's tax is going to be in the future and longevity risk i mean we call that the risk multiplier where uh you know the longer you live the more inflation uh, has an impact the more long-term care comes into play the the greater running out of money uh, is an issue or you know leaving a legacy uh, so basically, you know, my advisors taking too much risk. I would just say that, you know, life is risky. We're not getting out alive.
0: I like that. That's good. Uh, <laughs> it's always good to just put these things into proper perspective. And I think that's going to be a common thread through a lot of these complaints is uh, let's make sure that we understand the full context in, in analysis of the complaint to see if it's valid or maybe it's uh, there's misinformation involved. And that can often be the case when we're talking about risk. As with this next one, because it becomes a matter of value for many people, um, some people will just kind of complain they 'll look at their fees in their portfolio and just just this gut reaction of "My fees are too high. What do you typically find when you talk to people about uh, fees, and if especially they 're complaining that they, they feel like they 're too high
1: Yeah, I mean, for the most part, we don't get that complaint a lot, but like people are concerned about fees because obviously they have to be disclosed, you know people have to realize they're getting value for what they 're paying. But again, you know, going back to Nick Murray, one of my uh, early mentors, he said, "Look, you know, they get ninety-nine percent, we get one percent. That's a pretty good deal. We can't do much better than that." So basically, you know, most planners, you know, that do wealth management, one percent is kind of like the standard fee that people charge, right? Now, you know, realistically, if you have a very large portfolio, the fees are you know kind of discounted because. Uh, For the most part, you know, uh, someone that has like $500,000 getting charged 1%, that's what, $5,000 a year? Somebody might have $50 million, you're not going to charge them like $50,000 a year unless you're spending like 24-7 on their account. So I would just say this, you know, for the most part, you know, here at the CP Weldy Group, we just say, hey, you know, what, what do we have to do for this? You know this wealth management client how many hours a year are we gonna spend on this you know this uh, relationship and for the most part if you ask people like you know right off front hey would you want me to spend at least an hour a month and you know as your financial advisor and, and nobody will say no to that question for the most part you're spending 12 hours a year you know and most advisors if they worked on an hourly rate I mean I'm just looking at other professionals 250 to 500 dollars an hour I would just say like hey if you're paying you know, three grand a year. You know, five grand a year. It's probably in the ballpark based upon the portfolio that you have. But what are you getting for it? And I know, uh, you know, from this you know, f- from my perspective. I mean, tax planning is a big part of like what we do. Systematic rebalancing. I mean, people might be in a moderate portfolio where 60% of the money's in stock and 40% might be in fixed income. But if we looked at you know, calendar year 2022, when the market kind of went down like 22%. Uh, you know, people were out of whack and, you know, you know what we do is like systematically rebalance back to that 60-40 model where, you know, we're actually buying that which went down and selling that which went up, so to speak. And then behavioral coaching, that's probably the most important component of, you know, this argument, the fees are, are too high. If I had the wherewithal to talk people, quote, off the ledge when the market's down 30% and they don't convert to cash and take some 10 years of 3% to get back to where they were and they just ride it out. I really made my fee tenfold, you know, by protecting them from their emotions. So I would just say when people say the fees are too high, I probably would ask them like compared to what, and for the most part, I just go back to the old adage. Hey, if you get 99% and we get one, I think it's a pretty good deal. I don't think we can do much better than that. Case closed.
0: All right. Very good. So common complaints so far, we've talked about risk and fees being too highs. This other common complaint I know you've heard, Charles, Social Security is not going to be enough to cover my expenses. Yeah, that's probably going to be the case, right?
1: Yeah, but I mean, what cave were they living in? You know, I don't know anybody that can, (laughs) can live just off the Social Security, no matter what the amount is. So for the most part, you know, that's really the beauty of know getting a plan done is like hey you know what do you think you're gonna need per month let's just use an example eight grand what's coming in Social Security wise let's just say four grand so eight grand is what we need four grand is what we're coming in Social Security wise we got a big income gap of four thousand dollars a month hey let's multiply that by 12 to get an annual deficit of 48 grand and then depending on your age and for most people in their mid Early '60s, you know, plus like I I use a four and a half percent withdrawal rate, and that's just like my personal comfort rate, four and a half percent. So, Walter, if I take forty-eight thousand dollars a year, what their deficit is over and above their Social Security, and I divide it by .045. I I say like, hey, you need one million sixty-seven thousand dollars to retire comfortably and remain comfortably retired. How much do you have? Eight hundred grand. Well, you know, hey, maybe you have to give a part-time job, or you know, I mean, I don't say it like that, but you might have to get a part-time job, or maybe you have to reduce your spending, or a combination of both. Kind of just like the federal government, you know, uh, you know, they either got to raise taxes or lower their spending. I mean, there's no, you know, uh, right or wrong answer. It's just like math and science. I mean. Anybody that says, like, you know, my Social Security won't be enough to cover my expenses, I just don't know where they're coming from. Because just about everybody I meet, you know, with rising inflation and taxes and, you know, rising food costs and all that good stuff, I mean, I don't see how anybody can live off a Social Security paycheck.
0: Yeah, it's very true. So legitimate complaint, and then that's uh, kind of what spawns people to go through the whole financial planning process because Social Security is not going to cover everything. you got to have a plan for how you're going to make it through those years and save those additional dollars. So, yes, legitimate concern there, but uh, not necessarily a bad thing, just something we need to understand. Now, some people will have a a, a bad year maybe in regards to their returns, or it might be a year where they see uh, a good amount of growth in the market, but maybe their account didn't grow as much in the past year or over the same time span that they're evaluating or comparing to. So if you get the complaint from somebody, hey, my account didn't grow much last year, is that a legit complaint or is there some misconception or a lack of context here typically?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I'm not so sure it's a misconception. I mean, like I, I'm really into risk-adjusted returns. What do I mean by risk-adjusted returns? Like, the clients that we have, they're getting a return based upon the risk they're willing to take. So if I have somebody in a moderate portfolio, 60% stock, 40% fixed income, as opposed to somebody in a growth portfolio, 80% stock, 20% fixed income, I expect that growth account to do better than the moderate account. And pretty much, you know, over, Time that does happen, um, but you know, short term unknowable. Nobody knows what's going to happen any one year. Long term, it's inevitable that, you know, if history is any guide, the stocks will outperform the fixed income. So, it's really a matter of like, hey, you know, one year doesn't make an investment, you know, uh, portfolio. I mean, look at 2022. We all were down like 22%, you know. And if we panicked and got out and complained and tried to get another type of investment or strategy, we would have lost a 15% gain for the first half of 2023. So, again, like um, short term unknowable, long term inevitable, uh, my account didn't grow as much as my neighbor's. Well, maybe your neighbor's taking like more risk and you're taking less risk it really depends on like what your goals are and um, you know I you know I know that we have to send out quarterly statements every like uh, 90 days um you know i teach like long-term inevitable short-term unknowable but yet every 90 days people get a report card and i just like try to like bring them back to their financial plan hey the plan says that if we get like a portfolio rate of return of five and a half six percent over time we'll do fine one year you might be down next year you might be up but you know over a period of time five six seven years what's our average rate of return yeah we're on target Um, that's all i care about is like Number one, what are your goals? Number two, what's the plan? And number three, let's fund the portfolio according to like, you know, your goals and how the plan will give you the return that you need. Some people need higher returns because they have less, you know, funds to deal with. And some people uh, you could experience uh, more moderate returns because they have a lot more money. It really depends on the goals. So when people say my account didn't grow much last year, I always say compared to what, you know, compared to who? And if they said, "Well, my neighbors grew eight percent," and I might just tell them a little parable: "Hey, if your if your neighbor made eight percent, you know, average return every each and every year, and ran out of money, and you only made six percent each and every year and never ran out of money, who actually won that race?" So, you know, account growth, you know, is uh, short term. It uh, doesn't mean anything. Long term is really what counts.
0: Yeah, it's, that's the context that's missing there. All right, so very good. Uh, what if someone says to you, Charles, they come in to meet with you for the first time, and their complaint is, "I don't understand my financial plan." What does that usually tell you?
1: Uh, probably that the advisor talked too much and probably gave him a hundred-page financial plan that you know probably ninety-eight pages were irrelevant. I mean, I remember when I first started in this business many years ago i looked at plans from other you know i guess firms and some of them were so like thick it was like wow they get paid by the pound or what i mean this is ridiculous um I, i think realistically um if truth be told i love the group that i'm affiliated with because you know i was introduced about 10 12 years ago to the concept called the bucket plan the bucket plan is real simple everybody gets it you know you have three buckets of money you have now money you have sue money you have later money right and generally speaking the now money is for emergencies planned expenses hey I'm not worried about rate of return on that now money. If I need a car, it's there. If I need have an emergency, it's there. If I need a new roof, it's there, blah, 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 all right? So that's kind of off the table. It's there because it's a comfort to me knowing that, hey, that money's there in case of an emergency or, you know, to fund something in the very short term. Then we had the soon bucket, and the soon bucket is the income gap that we talked about. Like in, earlier in the podcast, we said, hey, somebody need $8,000 a month, and of the $8,000 a month, $4,000 was coming in for Social Security. They were short for so in the soon bucket, I would put four thousand a month times 12 months 48 grand. I'd multiply it by maybe 10 years. I put like almost a half a million dollars in that soon bucket, knowing that hey, guess what? It's a conservative investment, it's not going to make a lot, but it's not going to lose hardly anything, if anything at all. And that money will be there each and every month so that my client gets that four thousand dollars for the next 10 plus years. And then by that concept, Whatever I have left, I put in the remaining bucket, the the later bucket, for growth. And generally speaking, that would be a stock account. And yeah, the stock account water will go down uh, once every five, six years. It might go down 20, 30%. That's called a bear market. You know, these are inevitable. I mean, if bear markets didn't exist, everybody would have all their money in stock. But the key concept when it's in the later bucket, when it goes down, it's like, hey, wait a minute, you know, I don't have to panic and sell that money. Why? Because I have three, four, five, seven more years worth of income in this soon bucket, and hey, that later bucket that has that stock, it just went down 30%, is some of that money IRAs that, be, that might be converted to Roth IRAs at a lower tax bill? You know, whatever. I mean, there's opportunity in anything, but the simple plan, the bucket plan, to me, everybody gets it. I mean, I've done... Close to 100 plans in the last, you know, maybe 10 years, and I would say that everybody that got a plan understood it. Uh, it was very simple, and that's what I like about it. Simple is easy, and once they implement it, you know, they can take their emotions out of their investing and live happily ever after.
0: That's great points across the board, Charles. All right, let's go through one more common complaint here and uh, see if we can expose this one for its true meanings. I only hear from my advisor when he or she wants me to buy or sell a stock. I never get advice on anything else. That probably tells you a lot, doesn't
1: it? Yeah, I mean, someone like that, that advisor sounds like uh, he or she's in the transaction business as opposed to the planning business. And, you know, I hooked up with a I guess a mentor uh, his name's Kerry Johnson and basically he basically says hey Charles like if you really want to grow your business you get to call your ideal clients every 90 days all right and I started doing that I mean true confession I wasn't doing that you know uh, habitually over the years and what an impact that has just calling people up you know letting them know that you care that you're available to answer questions if anything came up Um, And, generally speaking, half the people won't answer the phone, you'll leave a message. But, you know, the ideal client, you really want to communicate with them. Uh, You know, just let them know you're thinking of them. Because you you heard the old adage where people don't know, people don't uh, care how much you know until they know how much you care. And like, you know, this is a relationship business. And when I first started out, I thought it was all dollars and cents, but it's really like relationships, listening skills you know, finding out what people's needs are, you know, giving them what they want. You know, you never have to sell anything if you give people what they want. So the ideal client, you call them every 90 days, a good client at least half a year, you know, every 180 days, uh, the communication's the key. So, um, you know, and again, like I've been an advisor for many years and I'm learning the power of communication, whether it's like setting an, an article out that made sense that, you know, could, positively impact a client or you know someone's birthday hey a little card hey happy birthday uh, or just a call. Hey, you know, yeah, everything looks like we're on plan with your uh you know your financial plan, but just want to give you a call. To let you know I'm thinking of you. If anything comes up, give us a give us a hour. This is really critical because in the end it's relationships. You know, people leave their advisors not because of the rate of return they're getting or poor performance. They leave it because lack of communication and lack of a relationship.
0: All really helpful and great guidance and advice on the show today. So there you have it. Common complaints in the financial and retirement planning world and some guidance and things to think about from Charles Weldy. If you've got questions about this, want to talk to Charles about your particular financial plan and go down the planning process route a little bit more in depth, you can do that very easily by getting in touch. All you have to do is call or uh, go online. The number to call is 610-388- 7705. That'll put you in touch directly with Charles. Or you can go to the website, and that is cpweldygroup.com. And we'll link to that in the description of today's show. Find out more information on the site. Listen to past episodes of the podcast. Lots of good stuff there for you as well. Charles, thanks for sharing your expertise and insight with us on today's episode. Really enjoyed it. And we'll look forward to catching up with you next month.
1: Thank you, Walter. Really appreciate it. All
0: right. Take care. That's Charles Weldy I'm Walter Storholt. We'll see you next time right back here